Welcome back, Collateral Banter, episode 55. I'm feeling it today. What a week in politics that I'm getting really excited about. There's been a lot going on. It seems like a lot has changed. We realize that Bernie's financial support that he's accumulated over the months is now translating into votes. He got the most votes in Iowa, won New Hampshire seems like Pete Buttigieg is now the moderate Democrat choice. Amy Klobuchar joins him. It seems like Joe Biden is slipping. It's slipping away from Joe Biden. And that would be already a lot, but we'll see if it changes in the remaining two weeks in February, because then many, many states vote. I think it's March 3rd, Super Tuesday. But the remaining states is Nevada and then South Carolina. And essentially by the end of the month, Joe Biden, if he doesn't start winning, then he will be out of the race. It's been a mess for him. I think he is, uh, he's not making a lot of sense on TV and that has hurt him. I almost feel like he, he, he would have done better if he had skipped the debates because they're just, he just doesn't sound like he knows what's going on all the time. That's the nicest thing I can say. All right, but in today's episode, there's an additional story, and it is by the former mayor of New York, Michael Bloomberg. I guess in three months, he has spent $300 million in air, and he will be a viable candidate. So he is now the dark horse candidate. The more chaos that happens between Bernie, Warren, Pete, and Amy, the more likely it is that the party may turn to Michael Bloomberg because he has an unlimited amount of money. He's from New York. And people look at a poll that said he could easily beat Donald Trump in a general election, 51 to 40%. And Bernie also could beat Donald Trump 51 to 40%. It's a lot harder for the Republicans to attack a candidate like Michael Bloomberg, right? The attacks on Bernie will be easier right? Bernie's a socialist. They're going to try to scare. It's going to be scare tactics. Bernie has raised a lot of money. He could, he could fight that. He doesn't have the billions of dollars that somebody like Michael Bloomberg has, but Bloomberg's been around. And the story is that you hear about Michael Bloomberg, his support for stop and frisk in New York. And there was a recording of him in 2015 of him essentially supporting that and attacking the judge who ruled that that was unconstitutional. But on top of it, you hear today, on Friday, February 14th, conversation Michael Bloomberg had about redlining. And he connected the end of redlining, which was the exclusion of loans to low-income African-American and Hispanic communities. He said that the end of that type of discrimination contributed to the financial crisis, caused the financial crisis. Look, I'm not a financial expert, but that's his explanation. This is the guy who created Bloomberg. That's his financial, that's his explanation for what happened. Let's take apart what he's thinking actually here. Okay. So he is saying banks were giving loans to people who did not have the income necessary to pay back those loans. Okay. First of all, that is not how the 2008 financial crisis occurred. Okay. And don't take my word for it. Read Michael Lewis's book, a guy also from the business world, who's written books about this. Go ask him. Go look at his works and what he has said about how the financial crisis came about. I'm going to explain it to you, explain how this happened, okay? So yes, it starts with people who don't necessarily make the income necessary to pay off these loans, but the loans are built in such a way where the people who give the loans know that the individual is unable to pay for it, but not initially, right? There's a, there's a low rate 
for people to pay in the beginning for the first two or three years. The first two or three years, the people who borrowed are able to pay, okay? It's after that period that the higher interest rates, the real interest rates kick in, okay? So let's start there. But on top of it, and he, Bloomberg, and I haven't seen the whole video, but Bloomberg does not say, he does not say that the banks also were the primary and the largest contribute to this because the banks knew that individuals were probably unlikely to pay when the real interest rates kicked in at a much higher rate. But what did the banks do? They said, well, to mitigate this risk and let's sell insurance on this. Oh yes, that's the people's fault, right? That banks were creating those insurance policies on the mortgages, right? Because it is the insurance policies on people's mortgages that began to really make this into a large-scale global financial crisis. He doesn't say that, but he knows that to be true. But of course, if he were to say that, maybe some people in the business world would not like that. And maybe, maybe they'd cut something off of a, you know, cut off a couple payments to Bloomberg or something. I don't know. Maybe they'd stop advertising with Bloomberg. Who knows? If he calls them out for it, right? So there's, there's loans, okay, that people are taking. There's now banks buying insurance off of those mortgages. So if the, if the person fails, which the banks knew would happen later, in the future, okay, if you bought insurance, you were going to get paid. Regardless if that person was able to pay, you now have an insurance on, on a person's mortgage, okay? So if that, if that individual defaults, you're getting paid. You owe an insurance, okay? And the insurance will pay out to you. They will pay out to you if that person defaults on their loan. So again, this is the multiplier effect. He, he is making the most simplistic understanding of the financial crisis because it is the banks who create these insurance policies and then on top of that they began creating they began creating bets on the insurance policies who will get paid out who is likely to default and who isn't right so now they're creating insurance on top of insurance hey you're going to pay out if my insurance gets paid out right like this is how you get into hundreds of billions of dollars this is how you get into a, a financial crisis it isn't that a bunch of people couldn't pay off their loans right why couldn't the government then restructure their loans create a fixed rate abolish the interest rate and just make it into a one or two percent interest rate loans for people who had either low income or something like that you could have kept people in homes restructured their loans knocked their loans off kept them in their home but they didn't want to do that okay so there were alternatives, many. But on top of banks creating these insurance and then creating bets on these insurance, okay, there is another factor that Bloomberg clearly didn't discuss, but is out there. The banks had all the incentives in the world to create as many loans as possible. For every loan they could create, they made a lot more money. So then they took those loans and then they bundled them, right? Each of those bundled mortgages were given credit ratings, okay? That's important because the mortgage bonds have to be rated. How risky are they? Nobody's gonna buy something if it's high risk. That's where agencies that rate these bonds come in. And again, no conversation about that, right? That it, there's nothing said about that, that the rating agencies for these mortgage, these bundled mortgages, okay, also large part of the scheme, because if they were rating these accurately, it does not get to as big as it got in 2008 in that financial crisis.
It does not get anywhere near that. They were in it on it, right? And so what would happen is there were about three agencies that rated that rated mortgages, okay? If a bank went over there and didn't get their AAA rating, they would go to the other agency that rates mortgages and they would demand that from them so they could play one off the other. So to collect the money, the rating agencies were playing game. Yeah, you want AAA? I'll give you AAA. You want double A? I'll give you double A. You want triple B's? I'll give you triple B's. I mean, <laughs> that that is what's really going on here, okay? That's, again, making it to a simplistic understanding that it was people who couldn't afford to pay their loans. It's like, no, there were predators on that. Not only that, and I will try to find this article, 30, 40, maybe 50% of people who got subprime loans, okay? Those are the loans that I was complaining about that in two or three years, the real interest rate kicked in. Many of them qualified for regular loans, for the regular loans, not the subprime loans. But people in banks there, that large incentive to get people on subprime. Hey, why not get them subprime? Try to get them to the subprime. You can pay a lower per month. Again, it's predatory. It's a predatory system on people who they know have meager incomes. And I won't even tell you anymore about how much of it was fraud, how much of the banks were going in there and they were creating these ninja loans. No income, no job will give you a loan. Was any mention of that by Bloomberg? Any mention of that? Any at all? The banks knew. The banks could say, no, we wouldn't do that. I mean, we don't give loans to people. They didn't have income or didn't have a job. They were giving those out. Can you imagine that? That's a sick thing to give somebody money knowing that you're gonna get paid for giving out that loan, knowing that that person has literally no income, no ability to pay that off, and that you'll be seizing their home in the future. And you multiply that through millions of people who lost their homes. Again, this is all really important because I don't think without the financial crisis do we get to the situation we are in today. I think a large part of people want to believe whatever they want to believe and they're creating their own realities and things, it really starts from the breakdown of the 2008 financial crisis, of the global financial crisis. So it's, it's criminal. And then again, nobody, nobody went to jail for it because everything they did, everything they did didn't get investigated. And even if they did get charged, right, the banks are going to hire the best lawyers, claim is completely legal, that people were responsible. People should know that they don't have income. They shouldn't be taking out loans, right? And so ultimately, they're going to go out and try to blame people for this. Again, my favorite movie of all time, The Big Short, that's by far my favorite director. Everything he, he does... I watch. His name's Adam McKay. The fact that somebody in the financial world doesn't talk about the real situation of how people were, were preyed on and people who even qualified for regular loans were given subprime loans. Again, most people don't walk around with lawyers to explain to them all of the conditions of a loan. And of course, you have conservatives out there who try to blame Community Reinvestment Act and, and activists who pressured banks to actually give loans to people because, yes, a big part of wealth in America today is owning property and owning homes. That's without a question true. Look at the housing prices in cities today. You want to talk about wealth disparity. You know, I've talked about this previously, but uh, wealth no longer comes from working wages. It comes from owning property and expecting that value in that investment, your home, to go up each year. That's where real wealth is, is building. That's where asset wealth is growing. Wages aren't taken off like that. You 
you begin to see this dis- massive disparity between those who own properties, especially in cities, compared to everybody else who rents. And of course, if you own property and you're living in a city and you bought it 10, 20 years ago, or you're inheriting from your family, you have money. You have money. You know, you sell it one day, you'll... Could you even, today's market, if you own a home in a city, you could be close to a million dollars easily and then live off $40,000 a year just off interest or something like that. So it is a huge part of of building a more equal society and that sort of economic fight. So I had to say that because, you know, when I heard Bloomberg's comments from watching The Big Short and from reading Michael Lewis's book, the fact that you you simplified it into banks were giving loans to people who couldn't pay them because they're too poor. And it's like, oh my God, this is this is the person who can buy... And truthfully, and I hate to sound now despondent, but a person who has $60 billion, what's three, $5 billion in a campaign? They would still have $55 billion left, $53 billion, you know, $5, $7 billion maybe in the whole campaign. And again, the media is just all talking about it. I mean, if there's a person who can just buy, buy a nomination, I have a solution to this in the future. So because the candidate can now spend much as they want on their campaign. And again, Bloomberg's hiring some of the best people. He's hiring uh, people who really know what they're doing, know the media landscape, creating memes, doing all of these things. They can flood the market. But in the future, I thought of a solution here. Here's an alternative to at least earning money from billionaires. So Democratic Party in 2024, 2028, we can raffle off the nomination for the Democratic uh, presidency. And we'd ask the billionaire to fork over three or four billion dollars. And then people in the Democratic Party can democratically, through the Internet, allocate that six, seven billion dollars the way they see fit. Use that money to start giving shelter to the homeless, feeding people, clothing, education programs. I mean, seven billion dollars. It's a lot of money. And the way the federal government is going and the way they're cutting everything, at least you're giving up. Yes, the presidency and the vice presidency to a handful of billionaires, it's a raffle. You can raise money that way, right? You know, ultimately, the Democratic Party can do whatever they want. The Democratic Committee can say, no, each of you needs to fork over $3 billion, $5 billion. We'll put your name in a box, and then we'll live stream the picking of the name to be president and vice president. Then we are really just selling it to the richest billionaires, but at least that way, you've raised 5 or $10 billion dollars. And then you can allocate that to communities that need it all around the country. So it's it's a bit like a tax for people who want to be president or vice president, right? I don't know. Just I was thinking about it the other day and saying, yeah, at least that way it's not just the media that's going to be making money from billionaires, right? Because right now that's the way it works. They're paying commercial airtime. They love candidates, billionaires running for president because... They can essentially buy a bunch of airtime. I mean, you can bombard the entire country with commercials and ads. But what does that say about human beings? That if we watch ads and we watch commercials, that will end up being like, hey, I guess this person's worth voting for. And here, here, here's the part that makes me a little depressed. I actually think it, it would work for a large number of people and throughout the country. I think people who follow politics daily won't be swayed or bought over through advertising, but... People who people who don't follow politics, don't care, don't give two shits. If they see a bunch of commercials and think like, oh, Michael Bloomberg, he did a good job in New York, they'll vote for Michael Bloomberg. 
they see a bunch of commercials talking about him all the time and Michael Bloomberg this, he did this, and they just see a bunch of commercials, people eventually be like, oh, okay, I guess I'll vote for Michael Bloomberg. Yeah, and they don't follow politics. They just work, go home, best of life, hang out with friends on the weekend. I think that's the vast majority of Americans. I've come to that conclusion. But people who follow politics think other people throughout America are like them, and they're not. They're not. They're not at all. Most people do not give two shits about what's going on politically in the community, engaging with people, debating things, issues. They don't care. They want to go home. They want to watch TV. It's escapism. They maybe hate their job. They hang out with their kids. I don't know. Watch TV. You know, read a couple articles and blogs. Go home. You know, wake up the next day. It, it's about just me essentially media consumption and raising a family. That's what people got time for. That's what people got interest for. People, on the other hand, who are engaged politically maybe aren't easily swayed. But again, they're not the vast majority of the country. So I think these advertisements will work. So yeah, that was my rant against Michael Bloomberg's analysis of the 2008 economic crisis. But it's effective what he's doing. It's very effective. And it's going to continue to be effective. He spent in three months $300 million. In another three months, what if he spends another four, five hundred million. He will just be under a billion dollars, which isn't much. It's a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. It's a lot of money. Um, but he can start bombarding swing states like Pennsylvania, Michigan. I mean, he can just, and again, he's got a good team. Don't underestimate. He knows what he's doing. He's got a great tech team, IT team. I'm attacking his ideas on how he understands the economic crisis. If he wants to believe that, he can believe that. I believe what I believe, obviously. The Democratic Party should be concerned and worried that somebody with that much wealth can just come in and essentially buy their way into the presidency. And people think that that's normal and people accept it. And I'd say the vast majority of people will. And I don't know what, what can be done about that at this point, because are you going to change the rule to block Michael Bloomberg now now that he's got an unlimited pocketbook? And the Democrats are essentially saying, okay, he'll spend whatever it takes to defeat Donald Trump. In the end, if he wins, if he wins the nomination, how many people would say, no, I'm not going to vote for Michael Bloomberg? The number of people who wouldn't vote for him are smaller than the number of people who would vote for him. Michael Bloomberg can convince a lot of people who are centrist, moderates, anti-Trump Republicans to vote for him. And if he just bombards them with ads and airtime, he can win it. And look, his pro-Obama stance has been very effective, his campaigns. I, I concede that. He, he, he's working the, the Obama link. And saying, hey, Bloomberg, you know, while Washington stays in gridlock, Bloomberg's getting things done and, and making reforms and doing things. Look, he's, he can sell in, in marketing a very effective administration in New York, and the vast majority of Americans will buy it, I think. And it's showing in the numbers. In three months, he's now catapulting himself into third fourth place. Look, he's going to continue to get a bump. He's going to continue to spend money. He just needs to maintain the momentum. And yeah, he's going to get hit on these things that critics are going to look at in his administration. And there's a lot. There's It's not enough to talk about. I wish I could have somebody on that lived in New York and could, could detail all of this. But yeah, that's he, he doesn't it's not that he doesn't care about that criticism is that he knows sort of what to say and how to deflect it. And he'll invest in enough people who will be like, yeah, he did those things, but he did a lot of other things. And you're kind of just like, oh, okay. Well, I guess he did a mix of things, right? And you just don't, it just doesn't move. You kind of stay in paralysis. 
right? You're just kind of like, okay, some good things, some bad things. Every every mayor has that, and you just stop it there. But like, what does it say about a democracy that a person of sixty billion dollars can come in and and take over an entire party? Well, Trump claims to be a billionaire. We haven't confirmed that, but he's a billionaire. He's taken over the Republican Party. So you know, we're in the age of billionaires. There we go. That's the name of this podcast episode. The age of billionaires. All right. I, I just had to give off on that rant because I got worked up. So I just had to say it. And look, that's that's how I analyze the economic crisis that we had. Michael Bloomberg can have his. And we go. And we go forward. All right. That's democracy. That's all I got time for today. That's episode 55, collateral banter. But I will talk more about the economy and capitalism because it is a necessary conversation to have. Thank you for listening. 